Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Welcome back to Drop Pass Podcast. It's once again time for some NHL talk, and despite the fact that the NHL finals are in full motion this week, we won't focus too much on that aspect and more so. We'll recap each playoff team season now that there are only two teams remaining that will get their spotlight once we've seen who will be crowned as the new champion of the NHL. So if you've happened to listen to the 75th episode, you should be fully aware of how this week's show is going to unfold. But just to recap, we will go through each team, its players, and the end result compared to preseason expectations. And right before we jump there, we got a few fairly big headlines from last week to uncover. So, as usual, a short news update is inbound before we start to unpack each playoff team's season. So welcome on board. It's great to have you here. If you enjoy, make sure to show your appreciation by rating the podcast and by dropping a follow on the show's IG page at the drop underscore Pascus. If you want to stay in touch with league-wide news, that is going to be the place to be since I update the site each time something noteworthy happens. So if you can't wait for new uploads, from there you will find all necessary details that will also more than likely highlight the future episodes as well. But that is going to be the agenda for this week's show, so let's start to crank up the music and set our sails for this week's phenomenon. Without further ado, let's get going. Right. So the latest headlines up first, and these will include Anaheim's new head coach, first trades of the unofficial offseason, plus few major extensions. So let's talk about the trades since they came pretty much out of left field, at least to me, and included some fairly intriguing pieces. So let's break down the trades that were orchestrated by our Finnish GM, Jarmo Kekalainen. The main ingredient of the first trade last week ended up being the guy that I brought up in our previous season recap episode. And if you haven't caught up to pace yet, basically the trade ended up being another three-way trade and the teams involved were the LA Kings, Columbus Blue Jackets and the Philadelphia Flyers. Flyers sent their former first-round pick Ivan Provorov to Columbus and in exchange attained defenseman Sean Walker, goaltender Cal Peterson and a Swedish DM prospect Helge Granz plus their 2024 second round pick. From Columbus, they got the 23rd overall pick of the upcoming NHL draft, in addition to Columbus's 2024 conditional second round selection. Kings also ended up retaining 30% of Provoro's salary, so his cap hit against the Jackets cap ceiling is going to be 4.725 for the next two seasons. And also, they got rights to defenseman Kevin Connaughton and forward Hayden Hudson for contract purposes. So, in more simple terms, Philly basically sent Provarov to Columbus, LA did Sean Walker's and Cal Peterson's contracts to Philly, and they got first, two seconds, and Helge Grunts in return for burying their cap hits to their books. And I gotta say that GM Kekalainen is swinging for the fences with this move because we've all seen how Provarov's level of play has been plummeting in the city of brotherly love in recent years, so... How dramatically can we expect it to change after so many years of walking through quicksand? And I mean like, 
there's still some potential there because like I've said multiple times in this podcast, a change of scenery can sometimes do wonders for players. So if the Jackets become more competitive next year and don't struggle with injuries like they did this year, he will be on the forefront of that movement and is expected to be one of the big leaders of their defensive core, no doubt. But if he keeps playing like he has through the past couple of years, Zach Wierenski can only do so much on their left side. And in addition, if Elvis is going to have another cataclysmically bad season between their pipes, those guys in front of him need to block every second shot to keep games tight, to be honest. So while some have already deemed this trade as one of the worst in the Blue Jackets history, I personally wouldn't necessarily yet go as far as say that since we haven't seen him on their blue line yet. And like some of you may know, he's known for his extremely high work ethic. So if this move ends up lighting a fire under his ass, and he ends up working his balls off during the offseason, we could end up seeing quite a different player next year when they aim to battle with the rest of the big dogs for available playoff spots in the East. So, there's still some hope left, at least in my mind, but only time will tell if this ends up being more of a Seth Jones type of addition, or if he ends up elevating his game in the new environment. And when it comes to Philly's side, I mean... What can you really say about this? Because it was pretty well known fact that they were shopping Provarov around and taking into account his previous few seasons, the return was a decent one. But no doubt they ended up selling him short because they ended up helping LA on the way as well. So a first and two seconds in next year's draft is a bit low in my mind when considering the fact that this year's draft is considered to be one of the deepest in recent memory. But I guess they didn't have that much leverage here, and that was the best deal on offer. So, Briere's first move in their office didn't end up being the worst one out there in my mind. And they are just starting the entire operation. So, Walker's and Peterson's values are not going to be measured the same way as Provaro's will in the near future. Hellgate Grants is an intriguing asset to have since the Swede has a big body that suits well for the North American ice, but last year he took a small step back in his development at least numbers-wise, so some doubts about his future NHL upside have arise, but he's still only 21 years young and was a high second-round pick in 2020, so there's still lots of room for improvement and a new organization plus possible added ice time could start to push him back towards the potential many saw in him when he was drafted. But regardless, like I said, low ceiling, relatively high upside move for the Jackets in my mind, and certainly one that pushes the narrative that they will try to contend for a playoff spot next year. And for Philly, somewhat surprising move in a sense that I was expecting them to begin the fire sale at the draft, not player-wise. But even though the return wasn't necessarily best they could get, it's still decent taking into account how many teams this summer are most likely going to give some discounts given the current state of the player market. But right as I was preparing this episode, we saw the news which told us that Provara wasn't going to be the only addition to their blue line since a couple days later, the Jackets also acquired upcoming free agent Damon Severson to their blue line and sent Calgary's this year's third-round pick to New Jersey in return. This was a sign-and-trade type of deal where the Devils had signed Severson to an 8-year deal with 6.25 million annual cap hit before the trade, which to some has the potential to be a massive albatross contract, but given that the Jackets are in a desperate need for defensive help, this kind of move makes sense, but I would be lying if I said that 8 years doesn't sound scary, especially when you see that he's turning 30. 
next year. But there's no doubt that he will strengthen their blue line and he's going to help their power play as well given his handedness and proven offensive capabilities. So now when we look at their current defensive structure and see how much it has changed since the start of the 2022-2023 campaign, we can confidently say that these two moves have moved the needle significantly when it comes to expectations for the upcoming NHL campaign. Severson has proved that he has improved his two-way game by leaps and bounces within the past two seasons, so like with Provarov, there's some upside left in this deal, but these two are still just names on a paper until the action starts, so by no means is anyone expecting them to be anything more than what they proved to be on the NHL level to this point, but I'm still expecting them to make a few more changes before the action starts, since this is a clear sign from their front office that last year's result won't reoccur and this team is primed to battle for playoff spots in the East against the other young and upcoming teams. So, somewhat surprising but gutted moves by Kekalainen which certainly creates some buzz around the franchise that is going to improve their future odds even more in a couple of weeks after the draft table. So, I think we are now at a point where we can officially announce the beginning of the offseason at least when it comes to extracurricular activity between the NHL front offices. Then on the agenda are going to be the view extension news plus a brand new head coach announcement which came from Anaheim, so let's go through those next. So in one of the previous episodes, I covered the fact that the Anaheim Ducks had decided to part ways with their previous head coach Dallas Eakins. And just last week, their GM Pat Verbeek announced to the public that a veteran coach, Greg Cronin, was going to replace him as the next head coach of the Anaheim Ducks. Cronin has been around the block for over three decades now and initially started his coaching journey from the NCAA like many others in the NHL circle. His first NHL gig was with the New York Islanders and he ended up spending eight years in total with the Oz in the early 2000s. And after six years with the University of Northeastern, he made his return to the NHL as he was appointed first as the assistant coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs and a few years later once again for the New York Islanders. But from 2018 until last week, he served as the head coach of the Colorado Avalanches farm team Colorado Eagles, so one could say that it was about time he found his first head coaching job on the NHL level. And given his lengthy history in the NCAA level, I would assume that one of his main selling points was the fact that he knows how to handle younger players. And given that the Ducks are slowly starting to come out of a rebuild, he most likely was the guy that stood out from the crowd and you also can just set aside his experience. So it will be interesting to see how good of a fit he ends up being for a team that is slowly turned the corner when it comes to being competitive on the top level. And then when it comes to extensions, pretty much the most notable ones that have been published in recent weeks concern Buffalo's captain Kalak Poso, Montreal's young goal-scoring phenom Cole Caulfield, Chicago speed demon Andreas Athanasiu, and finally LA's deadline acquisition Vladislav Gavrikov. And of course, there have been multiple prospect and league minimum signings on the way, but not that many one-way deals have been signed yet, but... Expect that to change the closer we get to the official free agency. Okposo was signed to a one-year, 2.5 million deal, which won't handicap them any way, shape or form. And although his offensive numbers are not where they were a couple of years ago, it's well known how big he is for their young team, leadership and experience-wise. So 
I don't question their decision to sign Okposo for another one-year deal, given his meaning to the entire organization. But when it comes to Caulfield's extension, I mean, you can't just go over it without acknowledging the fact that how team-friendly the numbers ended up actually being. Eight years with 7.85 cap hit. Talk about a steal. Like, yes, this might sound perversely biased, but the fact is that this is exactly how you assemble cup-winning teams. Just look at Colorado, McKinnon's breakup deal, Boston, Marchand's, Bergeron's, and Krejci's deals when they took home cups, and even Tampa Bay, and how Point, Kuj, Hedman, and Stammer took smaller deals in order to build teams that would bring them the most sought-after trophy in the NHL. So say what you want, but that was my initial thought when I saw the dollar value for the first time last week. And yes, of course, there's some risk to it given his recent shoulder surgery and smaller frame, but goal scoring is the hardest thing in the entire sport, so when you're a first-line center and a first power play option signs this kind of a deal, you can't but celebrate as a Habs fan when you realize that your first-line two-way playmaking center Nick Suzuki and his right-hand man, a real pocket cannon, Cole Caulfield, are both signed until 2030 with under 8 million sheets. And yeah, we've seen more of these types of deals than in the past, just entertains Thompson and Rob hints the conversation. But when you just look at guys like Matthews, Marner and Wierenski with their plus 9.5 million deals, it is a bargain. And yes, I know that those guys are pretty well established, but You just wait and see where these guys are going to be in two years. Let's check the deals then. So honestly, if you are a Habs fan and haven't been joking your goose since last Wednesday, I would certainly start to question your fandom because this paves the way for future Habs and basically shows what the aim is here and where they want to be when the next wave of superstars break into the league within these next upcoming years. So if you didn't already catch my drift, it's really remarkable how they were able to sign both of those guys to under 8 million deals, given the asking price of upcoming superstars in the league nowadays. Athanasiu not that surprisingly earned a decent paycheck from the Blackhawks after a 40-point campaign, and the 4.25 deal he just signed could be fairly easily moved if he ends up putting up those types of numbers in the future as well, and teams start to ask around for some additional scoring power come to deadline day. And lastly, somewhat surprisingly, we learned that the Kings had been able to work out a deal with their deadline acquisition Vladislav Gavrikov, who had told previously that he was going to test the free agency regardless of where he would end up at the deadline. But seemingly, 5.875 times 2 was enough to entice him to stay on the West Coast. And honestly, I have nothing bad to say about this deal since the Kings will get Alex Edler's deal off their books, and Gavrikov will make sure to fill his boots and then some so. Very good deal in my eyes for the Kings, who more than likely want to push the narrative this summer when it comes to them becoming a serious contender after two disappointing postseason runs. But just like I said, multiple European free agents have also signed their two-way contracts within the past few weeks, and we've seen multiple under 1 million deals in the mix as well, which don't necessarily break any major thresholds, so I'm going to leave them be for entertainment purposes, but... If you want to see which top prospects have signed their ELCs this spring, go down to the episode description and visit the podcast Instagram page because 
from there you will find every major signing that has happened so far. But that is going to be the news coverage for today. Next, we jump back to investigator mode as we cruise through each playoff team's 2022-2023 season and see if preseason expectations were met after 80-plus games of NHL hockey. And the first team on the board naturally is going to be the Winnipeg Jets since they were the first team eliminated from the playoffs. And first of all, I need to say that every team that made the playoffs can probably see their regular season as a successful one, so I'm not going to keep pointing that out throughout the episode, but when it comes to overall expectations and how far they probably should have gone in the postseason is another topic, so let's start to go over these teams and see if they match the expectations in addition to their overall outlook ahead of the offseason. So, how would I summarize their season? All I need is one word, and that is inconsistent. And maybe you could mix it with some spineless as their head coach Rick Bonus described their effort. I talked about this ahead of the postseason and emphasized the fact that we could see one of two teams. Either it was going to be a cohesive unit that could challenge the Knights in the first round, or on the flip side, we could see just a group of guys who were just hoping to win some games in the final stretch. So you can tell me which one we ended up seeing this year. So what I can say is that those same issues that kept them away from the cup hunt haven't disappeared anywhere even after stripping the captaincy from Blake Wheeler and changing the bench boss. So it wouldn't surprise me one bit if this team ends up shaking up their core during this year's offseason. Their management has now witnessed what this core is capable of, and the fact is that it isn't enough. So, while I'm not expecting them to start a complete rebuild, I would anticipate them making some changes to their current core, and most likely options to head out of town could be Ehlers, Shifley, Hellebuck, Wheeler, and especially Dubois, who already told that he won't resign in Winnipeg. So, pretty much in my mind, Josh Morrissey and Kyle Connor are the only untouchables from their top-end names at the moment. Connor had himself another 80-point season and has undoubtedly become their number one gun offensively, while Morris's almost point-per-game breakout year might stay as an anomaly in his career stat sheet, which makes me think that he will stay with the organization if their management doesn't decide to take advantage of his increased trade value and use him as a trade chip this offseason. And additionally, for some odd reason, I just have this small inkling which says that they will keep Hellebuck in Winnipeg at least until next deadline if they are not in a position to clinch a playoff spot. Because after all, they made the playoffs and are bound to make some moves in the summer, so why would you give up your biggest asset when you could use that time to try to work an extension for him? And in case he doesn't want to remain in Winnipeg, you get additional months to try to figure out a best possible package that you would like to see getting in return for his services. They have a boatload of bottom six names that will become free agents this summer, so we could see a massive turnover on that front in addition to at least one bigger trade. And next year, guys like Shifley, Wheeler, Niederreiter, Dylan, and DeMello could hit the market, so I'm anticipating a big offseason for this team in addition to many others, as I've mentioned. And as I alluded in the first round recap episode, they really suffered from the absence of Josh Morrissey during their battle against the Knights. 
while Mark Scheifele's injury didn't help the cause any more than that, but the pure fact just is that that series really showed them, as well as us, how far they still were from the top end of this league, so it isn't a surprise that their front office indicates that changes are inbound in the true north. So regular season-wise, their year was, I would say, okay. They ended up dropping quite a bit in the standings from the start, but when it comes to playoffs and their season overall, it was a major disappointment, and that shouldn't surprise anyone, even the results. So prepare to see some movement on the northern side of the U.S.-Canada border. Next on the board, we have the New York Islanders, whose bright spot this year was the fact that they got themselves back to the postseason, but only two wins from six games in the playoffs most likely didn't satisfy anyone around their entire organization. They even ended up adding names to their roster before the deadline day, but still were pretty far from advancing from the first round, which brings up the question, what will they do now? Given the recent history and the standing GM, I wouldn't expect much to be honest, but just like with Winnipeg, you've seen what this current roster is capable of, so why would you keep banging your head against the wall? Because your veterans are not getting any younger, and you can only achieve so much with defense. So what could Uncle Lou do to change the narrative when the puck drops for the first time next fall? Well, first of all, Zach Parise's contract is up. And so is their backup Simeon Varlamos, who more than likely will change destination this year, given the amount of teams that are looking for starter caliber netminders, and will be willing to pay a hefty price for one that could increase their chances of finding success. So he, in my mind, will be one of the attendees that gets a pretty fat paycheck this summer. And to be honest, even how much I like Oliver Wallstrom and his play style, if he can stay healthy, what does he really bring to the roster? So... I would at least test the market and see what he could fetch in a trade since 30 games per season isn't enough when you have playoff aspirations each year. Defense as well could use some work, and by no means am I saying that it's their biggest weakness, but even the banged-up Kane squad showed that there's still some holes in that top six, so by adding at least one guy to that blue line wouldn't most likely hurt them, even less so if he would have some offensive upside, and when it comes to their forward core, that certainly needs some fixing since you just can't win games in the modern NHL by scoring one or two goals in the long run. So, Horvat's acquisition was a decent one, but for example, names like Carl Palmieri, Jean-Gabriel Peugeot, and Josh Bailey should be on the forefront when it comes to names that you should offer to other teams, even though it would mean giving up draft picks if you want to challenge for the Cup in the coming years. You also got to keep in mind that Sorokin will become an UFA next summer, so he will ask for a hefty paycheck, so there's another headache to deal with. And just overall, the team has just way too much money tied to their middle six, which features four 5 million deals in addition to brawler Ross Johnston's 1.1 million hit, which I'm not even going to comment on, and most of these are products of loose handwriting, so... Say what you want, but sometimes the old dogs just can't learn new tricks, and this might be a prime example of exactly that. So, um, he really has forced himself into a corner, and like I said in the previous episode, the success in the NHL isn't linear, and since they just barely made it to the postseason, 
next year they could end up missing the mark completely when you remember that teams like Blue Jackets, Sabres, Wings and Sens are really beginning to shrink down the difference between playoff teams and the non-playoff teams. So in my mind, if we see a similar summer to last year, when it comes to roster moves, I can't see them making it because the Canes really exposed them this year and their offensive leaders, Barzal, Lee and Horvat would really need to step up alongside Brock Nelson if they want to be even close to getting themselves past the 82 games because they were huge letdowns in the postseason. So in my mind, this could be a course-changing offseason since we know that other teams are going to make adjustments, so there shouldn't be any lack of options, but if Luke can't get his thumb out of his ass, they could soon be facing rebuild because once again, We've seen the upside of this current core and it doesn't scream Stanley Cup champ to be brutally honest. So interesting offseason coming up for this bunch as well. Next we head to Tampa whose three-year final streak was cut by the Toronto Maple Leafs this year. And just like with their previous runs, the regular season itself was pretty much just a mandatory task in which they had to participate in. And honestly... In my mind, they were the better team cohesively against the Leafs and even dominated the games at certain moments. So it was without questions a disappointment for the entire organization when they were ditched from the cup hunt after just six games. But just like I mentioned in the playoff preview episode, they've lost a lot of integral parts from their roster within the past two years. And especially their blue line has weakened significantly since the last time they brought the cup to Tampa. So... I'm anticipating a summer of change for this team as well, given that guys like Alex Killorn, Corey Perry, Ross Colton, P.E. Bellemare, Ian Cole and Brian Elliott will become free agents on July 1st. Most of the main culprits met the expectations where Point, Stammer and Kuch were the offensive dynamos and even Brandon Hagel and Mikhail Sergachev increased their point totals by leaps and bounds, so no one most likely is anticipating any drastic changes this year, but it goes without saying that Andrei Vasilevsky's playoff performance was the main ingredient in their downfall. And in my mind, one of the main factors for it most likely is the fact that how many games he's played within the past four years. So if they really want to get everything out of him, they need to invest in a capable backup who can relieve some pressure off of him. Because it's become a custom that he plays north of 60 games per season plus every playoff game. So... You cannot underestimate the fatigue factor, which more than likely played a big part in his collapse in the first round. Additionally, some could even argue that Victor Hedman's regular season was a bit underwhelming with sub-50 point total, but when the playoffs began, he was hands down the best defenseman on the ice, even while dealing with an injury, so I wouldn't put too much weight into that necessarily, but... It also goes without saying that this year again, you could sense some fatigue from their play where they couldn't really get 100% out of their engines in the crunch time. And I'm definitely not saying that the effort was missing, quite vice versa. But it looked like at times the sharpest edge was missing and they were skating on quicksand, which depleted their tank even more against a team that got the bounces. So it will eventually start to eat you mentally as well. And in the aftermath, you start to get frustrated, which was somewhat visible in their series against the Leafs. So, what I'm anticipating to happen this summer is that they try to bring in few younger names to handle the energy roles on their middle and bottom six, and to overall freshen up the roster a bit since their this year's additions weren't any rainmakers and some of the members of their old guard are clearly starting to lose the steps, so 
I'm not expecting this team to suddenly disappear from the top spots of the East given the core that they have, but certainly few moves could be expected before we head to the 2023-2024 NHL campaign. So all in all, not a total disaster, but to some a surprising downfall given the momentary dominance in their playoff series, plus the overall postseason experience and firepower that they possess. Then we head back to West Coast, where the next team on the board is going to be the Los Angeles Kings, who more than likely have a rather busy offseason coming up, given the current state of their roster and the expectations. They were eliminated in the first round once again by the Edmonton Oilers, but showed once again that they are not an easy team to beat once we hit the final stretch of the NHL season. But clearly something was still missing where they melted under pressure and gave the Oilers chances to crawl their way back to games after being up by more than two goals. So I wouldn't be surprised if their GM Rob Blake put on his big boy pants and start to mold his team into a cup contender given how their recent postseason appearances have actually gone. First and foremost, their blue paint is something they need to figure out since currently Phoenix Copley is their only netminder under contract and the question will be Will they stick with Corpisalo or invest those dollars to someone else since, as I mentioned, there should be a few fairly capable goalies available on the market, not to mention the one in Winnipeg that, according to rumors, is on its way out. So, LA as well belongs to the group of teams that will be on the hunt for a standalone starter in case they don't decide to roll with Corpi. They alleviated some room to their cap space when they dealt Sean Walker and Kyle Peterson to Philadelphia and used most of that to tie up Gavrico for the next two years. Plus, Alex Edler's contract will come of their books, so should have more room to maneuver on the free agent market, not to mention the trade front, where guys like Alex Ayafalo, Trevor Moore, Blake Lissad, and Victor Arvidsson could draw some interest amongst the other top teams on the league. But without a doubt, I'm expecting few changes from this team given the fact that Anse Kopitar is still pumping out great numbers as their number one center. Drew Doughty is still their go-to guy on the blue line and guys like Kevin Fiala and Adrian Kempe have brought some much-needed firepower to their top six. So this should be the time to start investing in the near future because you've now given few years for young players to make their cases. And names such as Villardi, Anderson and Dursey have become household names on their roster. So... Depth shouldn't be the issue here, but more so the tip of the spear, which could kill out the deciding games when the push comes to shove. So, regular season-wise, it was a decent showing from this group of players, but their playoff performance was without a doubt major disappointment, so they are definitely a team that we should keep our eyes on, since Blake has already showed that he has the cojones to execute even controversial moves, so we'll see what he has in store when the teams start to activate closer to the draft day. Last team that beat the dust before Game 7 was the Minnesota Wild, and if I'm completely honest, their season followed the same exact script that has highlighted their previous NHL campaigns. Solid-ish regular season followed by some playoff hockey and an eventual first-round exit, so... At least I wasn't surprised by this result, and probably neither were you. So, um, where do they go from here? They are right up there with their cap, and guys like John Klingberg, 
Gustav Nyquist and Matt Dumble will walk for free if they don't end up taking a pay cut. Not to mention Kalen Addison and especially Philip Gustafsson, who more than likely are going to increase their tax brackets this summer. So the news is really starting to tighten up when it comes to Ryan Suter's and Jack Parise's buyout cap heads. Like the team is decent, there's no doubt about that. But in my mind, currently Bill Guerin's hands are just tied in a sense that they won't be able to drag any rainmakers to Minneapolis thanks to the fact that over 14.5 million dollars is connected to those two buyouts and therefore I just can't take this franchise seriously when talking about cup contenders because the additions pretty much at this point have to come within and even though you have guys like Marco Rossi and Brock Faber on your pipeline those two guys alone won't just take you over the hump or if they do we better see a Caprizove and Sider-esque rookie campaigns, but that's highly unlikely. So even how unfortunate the situation currently is, Gehring has done a tremendous job in balancing their books while trying to haul in names that could strengthen their postseason odds. But realistically speaking, I just don't have any belief in this franchise until they get away from the 14.5 million anchor. And we might as well run back in two years when Matt Boldy is a bona fide superstar in the league. Carol Caprizo battles with the best of them for the scoring title. And Philip Gustafson challenges for the Vesna. But until then, we can pretty much just shove their performances under the rug and hope for a Florida-esque surprise in the postseason. If they end up finding their way all the way there. So, if you want to hear the positives from the, this year's campaign, well, first of all, Gustafson's phenomenal season is certainly something that will bring some light to their fan base, but for their front office, the timing couldn't be any worse since, like I mentioned, he's an RFA and will most likely earn a decent pay raise this summer, so that doesn't ease their situation at all. But at least now they might have a standalone goaltender who will share the crease in a few years with Jesper Wallstead once he makes the jump to NHL ice. And without a doubt, Matt Boldy's plus 60-point campaign warmed many Wild fans' hearts, but on the flip side, Caprizo's Panarin-esque absence during their series against the Stars was a bit alarming, not to mention the point drop which both Ryan Hartman and Marcus Foligno experienced during this year's regular season. So, to me, there's a lot of question marks on the table when it comes to their organization, but hopefully Faber and Rossi could take bigger roles on their lineup since more than likely Damba ends up leaving and Klingberg's asking price could be too high for the Wild to keep him, so they would at least fill up certain holes and this way ease up their situation a little bit, but it is overall going to be another challenging summer for the GM Garin, and despite all the negativity I've expressed within these few minutes, I still have some left hope for their future, but the current outlook just doesn't ooze confidence in my point of view. And given their almost routinely first-round exits, I've really started to give them the Leafs off the West label, and until they can prove me wrong, that will stick with them. So hopefully that day comes sooner rather than later, but if I have to wait as long as the Leafs fans, I might as well stop following the sport as a whole, because I won't have the patience to drag myself through that kind of experience. Then we move on to Game 7 losers, and the first team on the headlights is going to be the President's Trophy winner, Boston Bruins. And honestly, I think that we all know how their season should be perceived as, and I don't feel that I need to recap their prior season, given the President's Trophy and the first round exit. 
But what I can say is that it's going to be another puzzling offseason for the Bruins organization since the biggest question is once again going to be, have we seen the last of Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci on the NHL level? Because that will change the team's outlook quite massively, given that their top two centers could be gone before they start the next hockey campaign. Additionally, Pasta's 11.25 deal will kick in this summer. Jeremy Swayman and Trent Frederick will become RFAs. Plus names such as Clifton, Orlov, Bertuzzi, Folino, Hathaway and Nosek will become UFAs. So this could end up being a massive offseason for the B-Town representatives and we could see a massive turnover on the roster front because they are up there when it comes to protected cap space and the pure amount of players they would need to sign before heading into new season. Certainly the expectation is that we won't be seeing similar flight from this team next year and the drop-off could be something similar to what many expected to see already this year. So definitely for Beast fans, it's going to be a nerve-wracking summer, but the only thing they can do at the moment, unfortunately, is just to wait and hope that Sweeney can work out the phones to keep the team in the running when it comes to playoff teams in the Eastern Conference. Then we head back to Western Conference, where we have last year's cup champ Colorado Avalanche, who were defeated in seven games by the playoff newcomer Seattle Kraken. And anyone who followed their progress this year is aware of the fact that they really battled through serious amount of injuries and were weakened by them, so most of the pressure was on their top liners when heading into the postseason itself. Landeskuk and Nijuskin were missing from the lineup and even Makar was dealing with some type of injury as well, so their outlook wasn't great even when heading to a matchup against the first wildcard team. And eventually, they ran out of juice and the underdog Kraken walked away with the Game 7 win on an away ice. And just like many others on this list, they have a bunch of free agents to deal with this summer featuring names such as Newhook, Comfer, Eller, Rodriguez, Byram and Eric Johnson, so their GM Joe Sakic will undoubtedly have his hands full when trying to get this team back into the elite of the NHL after their playoff disappointment. And the situation isn't going to get any easier when knowing the fact that their captain Gabriel Landeskog will miss most likely the entire upcoming season as well, so the team could look fairly different when they start their next chapter in the fall of 2023. Their blue paint was decent this year, so I wouldn't expect them making any changes to their current tandem, and their top lines are pretty well in place. Only exception, of course, being the void left by the absence of Landeskog, but serious changes to their bottom lines could be expected. And honestly, I don't know if Newhook, Byram, Rodriguez, and Cogliano will end up being the only names returned to Mile High City before the start of the next NHL campaign. So like I said, disappointing year for the previous chance, but it was quite a miracle that they found themselves from the first place in the Central after 82 games given all the injuries. So hats off to those guys who ended up carrying them that far this year. But certainly, the extra wear and tear plus injuries took their toll and now it's time to take a few steps back to see how they could turn this team back into a cup contender come next year. And the final team that made the playoffs but took the first exit out of the first round ended up being my cup favorite New York Rangers, who as well are heading to a fairly intriguing offseason. And just like the Avs, this postseason was a total disaster and a coaching change may only do so much so. 
we could expect to see a few changes in the offseason to increase the odds of advancing from the first round when they hit the crunch time next spring. But when it comes to their regular season, I mean, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows, but guys like K. Andre Miller, Kapo Kakko, Philip Hedl, and even Alexis Lafreniere kept increasing their totals, so it is really intriguing where they currently stand, to say the least. The main reasons for their downfall in the playoffs were the fact that their former head coach, Gerard Kalan, got totally schooled by Lindy Ruff, and also the complete disappearance of their star players, Artemi Panarin, right at the forefront of it all. Like, if you get paid 11.64 per season, you better drag your ass to the rink and put in the work if you eat almost 15% of teams in tar cap, because what I saw was lackadaisical, apathetic, and opportunistic individual whose drive was nowhere to be found at times when he stepped onto the ice. Some of those attributes shine from Patrick Gaines' game as well, who was added to their lineup to bring that much-needed playoff experience to their top six and locker room, but quite honestly, he was only visible in their final game, and I'm not sure if that was just because no one else on that forward court decided to put in any effort. Maybe apart from the kid line, which was more than likely their baseline 5-on-5, but which didn't get any extra ice time despite their effort level. Not to mention Mika Zibanejad, who doesn't seem to get rid of his regular season playoff reputation. So, some of those big pieces that needed to show their fangs during the crunch time ended up evaporating in front of our eyes, and that's why they entered the Losers Club very early on. Chris Kreider's regular season wasn't as magical as last year, and the point drop-off was quite a big one, but at least he ended up finding the back of the net more than once within the seven games and Adam Fox really shined on their back end, not to mention their tendy Igor Shesterkin, who was a monster in their crease, and straight up kept them in games for the most part, so those guys are the only ones who deserve clean papers from the shit show we just witnessed about a month ago. But like I said, this is another team that will have its hands full this summer, since Lafreniere and Miller become RFAs in a couple of weeks, while their backup Jarohalak, Deadline acquisitions Nico Mikkola, Patrick Kane, Tyler Maud, and Vladimir Tarasenko will hit the free agent market, if not signed, before the July 1st. So, even with available 11 million, you won't be able to sign all those guys. So, we'll see who ends up leaving and who stays. Because, for example, Lafreniere could haul a pretty good return if he's made available, but we'll see what Drury ends up really doing. And oh, yeah. It's also a big year in a sense that Shesterkin's current contract will run out at the end of it, and he's more than likely going to ask big bucks, so maybe getting rid of Barclay Goodrow's contract is just the beginning when it comes to the off-season actions regarding this particular team. Then we move on to teams that advanced from the first round but got their lunches served to them in the conference semifinals, and first team on the board is going to be the team that upset our previous team and it's the young New Jersey Devil squad. It should be quite obvious that this year was a major step up for the franchise, and with it, they've increased their expectations for the upcoming NHL campaign as well. Jack Hughes blossomed to a bona fide NHL superstar this year, and guys like Nico Hischier, Dougie Hamilton, Jesper Brad, and Dawson Mercer have become a household names on the scoreboard now, so 
the future looks extremely bright for this team that even strengthened its core by adding Timo Meyer and LA prospect Luke Hughes to their ranks at the back half of the season. But despite the positive outlook, their GM Tom Fitzgerald will have his hands full this summer because only four guys from their top 12 forwards are signed beyond this year. While on the blue line, names such as Ryan Graves and Kevin Ball become free agents in a couple of weeks. So despite the fact that most of their forwards plus Ball are restricted free agents, it doesn't mean that he wouldn't check the market since certainly few adjustments could be made to make them an even bigger threat in the East. They will need to add some muscle to their lineup, and if and when they sign Timo Meyer to his multi-year extension, it will help on that department, but you also gotta think of their crease, since more than likely they won't be qualifying McKinsey Blackwood, so is Akira Schmid and Vitek Vanacek going to be the tandem that they trust, or would they be another team that could be looking to strengthen their blue paint this summer? Their last summer's first-round selection, Simon Nemich, will also try to squeeze himself in their top six, and there are a couple of other hungry youngsters lurking in the AHL level as well, so it's going to be interesting to see if they will trust their young players again next year, and only make few minor adjustments to their roster since the core group is starting to take its shape, but that cap space could quickly start to evaporate once Brad and Meyer earn their new paychecks, so... It will be interesting to see which path they end up choosing, given their this year's major improvement. Next up, we have our beloved Toronto Maple Leafs, and I'm going to let you decide if their season could be seen as a success thanks to them finally breaking the first-round curse, or if you consider five wins still being way too low of a total for a team with cup aspirations. And I'm going to keep this fairly short since we could speculate about their offseason for an entire episode, to be honest. And the main reason for that is the fact that there are so many moving parts and open-ended questions that my brain would just start to cramp up if I start to go over all possibilities. So we better just wait and see what Tree Living ends up doing, because in my mind, nothing is currently set in stone, despite Shanahan's quote. So all I can expect to see is a lot of moving parts, but... What those might be is a great question in which I don't have an answer. But like I said, in my mind, it's time to ditch the whole core four idea because these guys just don't have the it. And the simple fact just is that you can't keep three guys making over 10 million and expect things to change. So if they don't end up doing something to fix that rather quickly, I'm going to laugh my ass off because it opens up a situation where Matthews and Nylander could just tell them to F off and take a fat sheet from somewhere else next summer. And then they are left there with Johnny T and Mitch Marner, whose no movement clause also kicks in on July 1st. So then their hands are tied for real. So um, I wish nothing but the best for the Leafs fans because more than likely you haven't even experienced the worst of this Leafs experience. So. At least try to enjoy the summer. Best regards, your buddy, JT. Let's stay in Canada though, since next team on the board is the Edmonton Oilers, and they as well fell from the cup race because of same exact issues that they battled with through the past couple of years. Less than convincing goaltending, suspect defense, and complete lack of any depth scoring, so... Has anything actually changed when it comes to the top Canadian Cup contenders? 
Their regular season injected a lot of confidence in me, and even their first round battle against the Kings didn't sway it away. But once I saw how the Knights were able to suffocate the Oils' first line 5-on-5, I came to a realization that this team still isn't nowhere near the top of the NHL, even with the best power play in the NHL history. Their biggest task this summer is to nail down Evan Bouchard and the sacrificial lamp in this case could end up being their former first-round pick, Kaler Yamamoto, who has failed to make a lasting positive impression on the NHL ice. So, while they more than likely overhaul their bottom six again, he's expected to be on his way out as well. Andrew Grease is going to be another major talking point this summer, so Ken Holland is about to have another quite busy offseason if all marks stay on their tracks. And honestly, I just can't keep this in anymore. I have to tell you that Darnell Nurse and his 9.25 deal just has to go because he was brutal defensively in this year's playoffs. And I don't know if his playing time affects his critical thinking or what, but if you can't stand in front of your crease and do what you're asked to do as a D-man, which is to box out your man and try to keep his stick away from the puck, plus to not hunt for big hits in the neutral zone. I don't know if you are worth even the league minimum, because if you can produce offensively and are a complete liability defensively, there's not much from which you should be paid for, so, um, yeah. That is more than likely in the top three of the worst contracts in the league currently, and there ain't too many names that can compete, to be brutally honest. But another interesting offseason inbound, and it has to be said that the time is slowly starting to run out on their part since the 24-25 campaign is going to be the final year of Drysdale's current bargain contract, and McJesus' current 12.5 million deal comes to its end the following year. So, if I wanted to create some waves, I would say that their current cup window could be closing rather quickly, and the team might be heading to an era that does not include those two offensive monsters. The last team eliminated in the conference semifinals was the Seattle Kraken, who stretched to a back-to-back Game 7s, but finally met their match in their second-round series against the Dallas Stars. And I've praised this team and their ability to challenge the top teams with their very demanding four-line pressure game, which requires that each guy on their lineup gives 100% each night for it to work, so it's pretty easy to say that not that many people saw this team, first of all, in the playoff picture, And second of all, advancing from the first round. So, undoubtedly, this year has brought a lot of interest around the newest franchise in the NHL. Their biggest strength this year was undoubtedly the overall stability throughout their entire lineup, where most of their top nine forwards had over 40 points, with top dogs getting over 60. And even their fourth liners reached north of 25 dots. So, when you get that kind of an input from each guy from your roster, You are in a pretty good shape, to say the least. Their defense was surprisingly solid this year, and I guess the two-way team play style played a big part in that, and more than likely occurred during the first-round battle as we witnessed Colorado's former starting netminder Philip Grubauer completely outduel his former team. So, even though more often than not that wasn't the case during the regular season, it at least brings some confidence to their front office heading into next season since Martin Jones will more than likely hit free agency, so 
they'll have to add another name to their pool paint before starting another underdog campaign. Matty Beniers had a terrific rookie campaign with solid showing in the postseason as well. Whereas upcoming RFA, Vince Dunn more than likely just earned his biggest payday to date with plus 60-point season. So, after a tough debut season, things are starting to look up for NHL's newest child. So, we'll see if this ended up being just a shooting star performance or if we can expect to see these guys in the playoff battles in the coming years as well. Then it's time for the final two teams that were eliminated from the cup race ahead of the final itself. And the first team headed to their personal summer vacation ended up being the Carolina Hurricanes, who really pushed against the odds during their this year's playoff run. But after another terrific regular season, their journey ended right before the cup final. So, understandably, the result wasn't what their players, management, and front office were hoping for. But like I mentioned multiple times during this spring, it's quite astonishing how they made it so far without two big components of their forward core. So, at least in my eyes, their playoff run can be seen as a pretty big victory when looking at their odds. But at least in my eyes, luck and juice just started to run out of their bloodstream during the final battle against the Cats. And they were swept in four games by the biggest underdog of this year's playoffs. And I mean, it's funny how Brenda Moore phrased it by saying that they were not swept. And I get his point where this series must have been one of the closest 4-0 series in the history, so it has to sting, but the numbers don't lie, and unfortunately the Canes couldn't take any wins in that series, so yeah. Mentally, they weren't swept, but statistically, there ain't much to argue about. Their free agent pool pretty much consists of veteran players, so for the most part, I believe that the core group will stay intact given that they have plenty of cap space to work with. But the blue paint is where the biggest question marks currently lie. Kachetkov is currently the only 10 designed beyond this year, so will they resign one of their this year's crease protectors, or do they end up surfing the market to see if they can find anything better than what Andersen and Ranta could offer for them? So unlike many other teams, I'm not expecting extremely hectic offseason for this team given that they've been one of the top dogs in the East for a few years now. And their this year's cup run wasn't cut short because of any certain playstyle problems, but more so due to lack of firepower. So at least I'm anticipating a fairly similar Kane squad next year, goaltending being the only exception, but certainly few improvements could be made to their top six. And their second line center spot is still looking quite weak, if I'm completely honest. So they could be looking to fill that void this summer. And guys like Teuvo Teravainen, Martin Nages, and Jack Brewery, alongside a few other intriguing prospects, could be on the move if they decide to really make some moves. The last team of this week's show is going to be the Dallas Stars, who were eliminated by the Vegas Golden Knights in six games. They lost their first three battles, but ended up taking two wins to stretch the series. But eventually, the Knights embarrassed them on home ice and walked to the cup finals and left the Stars front office wondering what could be done to prevent this from happening ever again. In my eyes, at least their season could be seen as a small victory since we saw them taking another step towards cup contention and guys like Hintz, Robertson, Haskanen, Odinger and Johnson kept improving their game the further the season progressed. But Certain question marks still shadow this team, which are tied to their older guard. Guys like Ben, Sagan, and especially Suter, who had a horrible run at this year's playoffs. 
Ben's regular season was fantastic given his recent struggles, and even Sagan improved his game when he was needed the most when Pavelski was out of their lineup, but soon after he returned to the ice, his level dropped off quite a bit and he faded to existence like he had done in recent years. Jake Ottinger as well couldn't quite reach his last year's playoff form and was pulled in a couple of games after allowing a few easy goals, but there's still lots of mileage in his gas tank, so I wouldn't be too worried about his struggles in this year's postseason. And thanks to terrific performances from their new young leaders, I'm not expecting any major changes to their roster this summer, since they still got few intriguing prospects coming up their ranks. And for example, Thomas Harley is starting to look ready for full NHL deployment, so I could see them trusting the process and giving more trust to guys like Johnston, Delandria and even their younger reps, Borg, Stankoven, and Camano. So, despite their shortcoming, the future is looking really, really bright for the Texas representatives. But without a doubt, Benz, Sagan's, and Suter's contracts are weighing down on the projection, and to be honest, I wouldn't mind seeing at least one more puck-moving defenseman on their blue line, so bottom six and blue line would be something I would focus on this summer if I was Jim Neal. But all in all, very promising season, at least in my eyes, their future core is starting to take its shape, and the most integral parts of that are locked up for years to come, so there's really no need for any drastic changes if they don't involve the few guys mentioned previously, at least in my personal perspective. Certainly they would have wanted to test their capability in the finals, but Vegas' depth was just too much for them this year. But I expect to see them challenging for the cup again next year, because they are starting to hit their prime, and if they can ditch at least one of those anchor contracts to somewhere else this summer, they are going to boost their odds even more so. We'll see what their game plan ends up being before we start the next chapter of NHL Chronicles. And with that, we've reached the end of this week's episode. The Knights are only one win away from being crowned as the NHL's new champion, so we'll see if they can make it happen on home ice or if the Cats still have fight left in them to even out the series and enforce a Game 7. Thank you for stopping by once again. If you made it this far, I salute you, buddy. I hope that it's been entertaining. Make sure to check the links from the description and come back next week when we will digest the final series and the teams involved in the battle for Lord Stanley. Thank you for your support. It means a lot. And I hope you have an awesome week ahead of you. Stop by again next week. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time. All right.